Crushgasm, the podcast dedicated to the highs and lows of crushes. From their first to their worst, we're going to cover them all with a cascade of characters, including our guest today, your forever DM, Gary Barker, a pun master, board game collector, and podcast enthusiast who is here to talk not only about the average adventuring party podcast, but also his crush on everyone's favorite peacekeeper, Aaron's son, from Farscape. Gary, how are you? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing great. There's a little rain. But that's okay. That's okay. We're good. We're good. So before we dive into this crush, can you tell people where they can find you and the average adventuring party podcast online? Sure. Like I uh, like I always like to say, we're just random stuff off the internet. So uh, you can find us at averageadventuringparty.weebly.com, I believe. We're on Twitter, Instagram. Basically, if there's a place we can put average adventuring party, we're there. Cool, cool, cool. Well... Now, you started watching Farscape with your stepdad, a fellow nerd. Was this like the first show you remember bonding with him over? No. Um, oh, man. I would have to say it probably like uh, he, uh, the next generation, maybe. Uh, he was. So my stepdad was like a real, you know, old school, closed off engineer kind of guy. Didn't really say much. But whenever there was a new show especially like the old sci-fi channel shows whenever they were they would put something out he would make sure to come grab me <laughs> um, so it, that's how it was with farscape he was like i've seen this thing there's aliens and makeup and creatures and you'll love it trust me and uh i think we had just gotten off of maybe like the midpoint of the x-files uh-huh. so so yeah not the first one but definitely one of the more memorable ones and has sci-fi, like, was that always kind of the foundation for, like, you bonding with your stepdad? You know, not just sci-fi. Uh, whenever he and my my mother got married, he, we had this little, like, weird triangular closet under our uh, staircase in the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, I'm going to show you something. And he opened it up and it was stacked, like, floor to ceiling, back to front with VHS tapes and that he had recorded and, like, books that he had had gotten so really i think it was just like any kind of fantasy media um not just sci-fi what a cool like little cavern to have <laughs> yeah it was uh, a, a like i have never ever seen a, a space like it uh, and i have no idea why it existed in that house other <laughs> than he was too lazy to to you know cover it up with something um but he made yeah. great use of it <laughs> Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, that was part of my, I I think he was kind of, he had a secondary agenda because he knew that if I thought there was something good in there, I would clean it out, Oh, (laughs) which I did. (laughs) He was like, gotcha. (laughs) So did he also have eyes for Aaron's son or was like, she all yours? Uh, no, I think he, he was more of a, uh, a Dargo guy. Uh, Aaron's son, you know, at, at the time, I don't remember her being that popular of a character. Mm. You know, everyone kind of had this, um, like, will they, won't they, who who will John Crichton end up with kind mm-hmm. of attitude. And 
I just remember like from the beginning, first episode I saw her and I was like, that, that's perfect. And it didn't matter like what cool alien or, uh, you know, super badass, awesome lady they added later on in the series. Aaron was always my, my squeeze. What was that like instant appeal of her? Uh, you know, I, I think it was honestly the dynamic between her and John Crichton, because I, I think it's why I, I, uh, harmonize with him so much as he's like this, you know, kind of talented guy, but completely helpless in the environment and just out of his element. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she comes in and has like every bit of experience and, and, uh, just ability that he lacks in that element it, in, uh, in that series. So I don't, I don't know. I, I think it was that. So you like, um, like a caregiver. She's kind of like that or smart, yeah, really like, smart person. Like, like smart, skilled. Um, she's got that, that kind of like ancient Kung Fu master level of, you know, I don't really care about your personal well-being, but I'm going to teach you a lesson and it, it might be painful. Would, would you also say it's like an intelligence is also a, like a big factor in the crush too? Because she knows a lot. You said that wisdom type thing. You know, I don't know if raw intelligence is is the the appeal there, but I think it's just her her resilience. There's actually a a really good arc in the series where, um, you know, she's like the peacekeepers are trained to be what they are. So you know, get your pilots, your soldiers, etc., mm-hmm. etc. And she's not a tech person, so when she's put in this situation where she has to, I forget what she's putting together, you know, a shield unit or whatever sci-fi techno babble. She, she, you know, her, she goes through like all five stages of grief, starting with like, I can't do this. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> and by the end of it, she's like, you know, through sheer willpower, I have accomplished this thing. Um, so I really think it's that it's like the willingness to do whatever is necessary to you know save the day or be the better person or just like, she's willing to do it all. Hmm. I could never. <laughs> I, I'm not that resilient. I'd be like, oh my god, no, 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 no. But you also noticed uh, noted that you loved her voice. Why do you think people with accents are always like, in most cases, more appealing to us? I I don't know about the act. Like, I, while I am attracted to accents, don't get me wrong. Um, it, there's just these these little things. Um, so, you know, kind of stepping outside of Aaron for a second, one of my other mm-hmm. great crushes that I honestly probably couldn't even tell you what she looks like is one of the um, one of the members of the original Broadway recording of Cats. <laughs> um, and it's just like this little like sizzle or, you know, her voice is just kind of smoky. And it, it's like the great unknown for me. Like, I have no idea why it why it does it, hmm. but but it does. Have you ever looked that person up or you just want to live in the fantasy? Cause it, it might go south. I don't know. Um, I, I can, I know for a fact I've seen it because we had a, a theater teacher in high school who like once every month showed us cats for some reason or another, she found an excuse to put, put that in the, <laughs> in the, the video player. But you know, I like just trying to picture her off the top of my head no idea who were some of your other like vocal crushes maybe ones you you could match a face to oh um so you know like a lot of people throw around terms like um 
I, I don't know if you want to get into it or not, you know, like bi curious, bisexual, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it's not a, it's not a sexual thing, but like men and women doesn't matter to me. Um, so totally can crush on a guy's voice. Doesn't, doesn't, uh, I'm, I'm not limiting myself to women only, but like Michael Rooker, um, that is an interesting one for you to say, like male, and then go Michael Rooker. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. Uh, you know, the I don't know. There's just something about him, like the he's got he's got like this this baseline. You know, you can always tell it's him, but yeah. he's real, he's real subtle in um, his affectation and just something about some of his different roles. Um, Idris Elba is another one while while we're kind of on that. Uh, Tilda Swinton, you know, I don't care attractive, unattractive, whatever, but just there's some little something in their voice that that catches me. I totally understand that because I have crushes on like Garth Brooks voice and like Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20. I don't physically find them like, you know, attractive, but it's all about the voice. I get it. But when you said like a male actor, I thought you were going to go Sam Elliott because that's a good voice. (laughs) Oh, don't get me wrong. Sam Elliott is (laughs) is up there. And in fact, there's a a character in our our gaming podcast that I voice with Sam Elliott in mind. Oh, Uh, but. (laughs) Uh, if my girlfriend had her way, Sam Elliott would be all hers. So I can't really can't really claim that. She would have to fight my mom, my mother-in-law. I think every woman that is my mom, my mother-in-law's age. He's like the hottie of that like generation. And I guess still, it's it's the voice. Oh yeah, it's it's the voice. In fact, that's pretty much the only reason I I sat down and watched. Um, oh, I can't think of the name of the show now. Where he's the uh, on the cattle ranch mm. uh, the 18 uh, something the yellowstone I, one no i it's it's a oh the ranch no, yes the ranch of course mm-hmm. it's the ranch something simple i'd forget um yeah i was just walking through the house one day and my girlfriend was watching it because it had sam elliott in it and i heard the voice and i was like well i can make some time to sit down and listen to him <laughs> He's, he's good for radio. So back to Aaron. This character played uh, into that like hard exterior at first, but over time she softens up. When you sort of look back at other characters from TV that you love, do they like fall into that same sort of trope? Uh, some do. I, I know there are a fair few that do. Um, I really do like that about her because, you know, it... It plays into, as you, you find out, the, the way the peacekeepers raise their kids to just, you know, be born for a purpose. You know, very few children are born out of out of love, so they don't have that emotional support growing up. They don't give that emotional support as they they grow older and their relationships are just, you know, when when you need to uh, when you need to blow off steam, you go find somebody when the ranks need to be filled you have you have kids so watching her um not only just from like a, a inner interpersonal perspective but watching her like break the entire cultural norm i think is is the really great appeal of of her whole art and are there any like when you think back favorite like aaron centric episodes or parts of her 
plot or arc that you really like stick out all these years later because the show premiered in 1999 it's it's been a while yeah yeah i know i'm i'm old i was in middle school when it we, came out i think we're the same age <laughs> oh, well then i have news for you yeah <laughs> um yeah there's actually an episode that i i love to death and everybody's done it like uh you know i brought up the next generation earlier picard had an episode where he did exactly the same thing I know, I, I, South Park did it, Simpsons did it, I, I don't care. Um, but they get to, her and John get to a planet where they can't leave and all the power is uh, gone out of all their, you know, futuristic technology. So they're forced to, to live. And the first, at first the episode kind of starts with this, oh, how are we going to get off the, the planet uh, sort of arc? And by the time it's over, you know, they've given up and they've, conceded to to living a life together and you know decades pass and the whole time it's just her and and john Crichton being uh you know snippety old people at each other mm -hmm. uh, and i loved it because i saw uh my grandparents relationship like i i could have sworn i was watching them on tv uh, and you know there was like that love there mm -hmm. but you know, they, they were the type of people who wouldn't show it in public and, and very rarely showed it in like flowery, overly emotional ways, but you could tell just from looking at them. And, uh, you know, that's the vibe I got from them. Well, how many times have you watched the series? Like, I love, there's certain shows I love, but I'm not that great at like remembering them all. So how many times have you watched Farscape? Uh, let's see, probably... I mean, there's episodes that I've picked up um, out of context, but start to finish, I've maybe watched it four or five times, uh, including the original run. Oh, wow. That's that's not like that much considering like binging now. I think I'm on like double digits with The Office and Frasier. So you have a way better memory than I do. Well, it's not, <laughs> it's not like, a, you know, my girlfriend's favorite TV show of all time is is Firefly, and that's what mm. like fourteen episodes. So mm -hmm. when she wants to sit down and watch it, that's yeah. a Pretty day. Easy. There's there's like six seasons and movies, and it, it's just it's difficult for me to sit down and commit that much time to a single thing. Understandable, understandable. So while some of us eventually abandon our middle school crushes, Aaron's son is still someone you love. And you mentioned before we started chatting today that even the actress that plays her, you love her, Claudia Black. When she was in Pitch Black, you almost walked out because, spoiler, um, even though the movie is over 20 years old, she dies at the beginning. Um, so when did the crush on the character start to just become a crush on the actor because I've said it before I think there is a difference between a character and an actor like I love Michael C. Hall I always use this as a um, example I love Dexter but I don't care about Michael C. Hall so when did like you start to be like well I like everything about this character even the woman that plays her see that's a hard line for me I, I don't know I don't know where that that blurring came in I, I just remember one day uh, you know especially with Riddick uh, they were like, oh, there's this movie. It's got aliens, which, you know, it's kind of a, an easy sell for me. And they were like, it's got this guy that's pretty much unknown, this other guy that's pretty much unknown, and, you know, this and that. And they were like, oh, and also on the cover is Claudia Black. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that was the first movie where I was like, she's got selling power for me. Like if you put her in something, I honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I think she was the reason why I bought into Dragon Age mm. uh, as much as I did because she's in, <laughs> she's on the cover of that. I That's interesting. There's some people like that where we're like, well, they're in it. Now I will watch it and I'll be a fan of it. That's me and Jesse Eisenberg for the most part. But did you follow um, Claudia to other shows over the years? Like she was in Stargate, the originals, an animated series called Final Space. She really likes to stay in the space realm, I noticed. I mean, if you're good at something, yeah. <laughs> keep with it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I did follow her over. Stargate's another show that I watched with my stepdad. And I always forget she's in it. I, I re recently rewatched it. And when I got to that episode, I was like, oh, hey, now I remember. But uh yeah, I've, I've followed her to other things, um, especially she's one of those actors. She's like Mark Hamill. She she does acting, but I think is more well known at this point for her voice acting mm -hmm. chops. Um, so, you know, if a new game comes out and to me, she's got just a perfectly distinct voice that I can I can pick out in the lineup. So when a trailer comes on TV or I get a, an ad on YouTube, I was about to say commercial. Nobody knows what commercials are anymore. <laughs> Uh, whenever I, I'm doing that and I'm, you know, typing away on, on one screen and I hear that voice, like that's an immediate, oh, I need to check that thing out. Your ears perk up. You have like a Claudia Black, like satellite. I mean, it's, it is for her, uh, you know, and I've got several people like, like, um, everyone uses it, but Bill Murray, like he has a mm -hmm. super distinct voice. Um, that's, that's kind of how I identify I identify a lot of a lot of people is I can tell you what they look like but I can tell you what they sound like a lot a lot more uh accurately interesting and do you like that Claudia Black has sort of stayed within this kind of nerdy sci-fi realm of entertainment for you seems like that's your bread and butter I I do because I think she was one of the first ones so um that really owned it right so like mm -hmm. go, leading up from the like the 50s, 60s, 70s, all the actors that were in sci-fi and horror and things like that, that was kind of an embarrassment to them. Um, Leslie Nielsen's a good one. Uh, you know, everyone forgets that he used to be in all these cheesy sci-fi movies before he was, you know, who he was uh, with all his comedies. And, you know, like leading into the 80s, you had people who starred in horror. Um, and then... You know, going into the '90s, they were like, "Oh no, no, no! I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do that. You didn't see that." Um, McConaughey and Zellweger are a good example of that. Um, mm. With the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, they did it when they were kids, got famous, and then looking back, they were like, "We'll do anything whatsoever to to get that out of the public conscious." <laughs> uh, but Claudia Black, um, she was one of the first ones who was like, "Yeah, I did a thing. I'm proud of that thing. Let me put it front and center." Uh, and it makes me so happy now that um, not just her, but like other, you know, a celebrity can be in Guardians of the Galaxy, which 20 years ago would have been a yeah. career death note. Mm -hmm. um, and now they're able to put that stuff front and center. So I love the fact that she found her niche. She's happy enough and satisfied enough with her work to keep doing it, which, you know, as long as she's fulfilled, she's going to keep doing it, which means I get more entertainment. <laughs> It's kind of a selfish way to look at it, but uh, it is what it is. 
it's a win-win situation. Now, since you're a fan and collector of board games, I'd love to know which one you'd bust out if you could host a game night with Erin's son. Oh, see, that's that's tough because she's a she's a uh, how would I put this politely uh, a literal <laughs> thinker, mm-hmm. and I I have some wonky board games on my shelves. Uh, because you know the way I am with with uh, voices for people, I am with themes for board games. So if someone if someone's like, here's this weird game about I don't know uh, rats stealing space planes, like that sounds perfect, <laughs> even if it's a terrible game. Um, I would probably break out. Actually, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but. There's a, a board game, we just call it Among Us the Board Game. Oh, okay. uh, and and that's what it is, is uh, everyone trying to suss out uh, who amongst them is the one who sabotaged the ship mm-hmm. while the ship itself continues to sabotage itself. So I, I feel like that's enough into her realm where she could she could read the people and the aliens in there. Uh, <laughs> That sounds perfect for for somebody on Farscape, but would you switch it up if it was like not Aaron, it was Claudia Black? What game are we playing with the real person? Uh, So Claudia Black is Australian, I believe. It's Australian or New Zealand, I can't quite remember. Uh, But I have a game that, again, the theme snagged me. It's called Waste Nights. Um, It's basically uh, Mad Max takes place in the Australian Outback. And I, I feel, you know, just getting her to the table, that would be like the perfect thing. Sit down, open the box. And the first thing she sees is this uh, weird sci-fi wasteland Australia. Well, you have a game for everyone. I feel like you can match everyone's personality to a game. <laughs> Interesting. What a skill. I love board games as well. I'm really sad I when I moved from California to here, um, my husband's family doesn't love board games or game nights as much as mine. So I'm really excited to go back to California in July and have a, a game night with my family. But we have reached the portion of the interview where we sort of do our own uh, role playing. Uh, you're going to imagine your life with Aaron's son and let us know what does a life with her entail? Oof. Um, hmm. structure, I, I think more than anything, you know, she's used to that chain of command. So I, I'm kind of a, a free form person. I, I like making plans and all, but more than that, I just go along to, to get along and see what happens. I, I think she would impose a, a great deal of, uh, of structure on my life, you know, be the type of life where you have that, uh, four foot calendar by the front door mm. with all the dates mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. The whiteboard. Yeah, right now, like I have no idea what's happening at any given time, but I, I think with her, I would know the next couple of years. <laughs> She'd be like uh, those moms uh, that are just super organized, like PTA meetings, everything's color coordinated, like bam, bam, bam. Yeah, just with more guns. More guns. <laughs> well, you know, you got to have a, a color on the the whiteboard for that as well. <laughs> So we talked about the crush. Now let's talk more about what you have going on. First off, when did you initially get into RPGs and tabletop games? Oh, uh, let's see. I, you know, I, I tell this story. It's one of my earliest memories, but um, and it really dates me. 
but uh, back in the day, uh, TSR, the company that would become wizards and be bought by Hasbro and eventually put out Dungeons and Dragons, used to put out these uh, VCR adventure games that were like Dungeons and Dragons light. Uh, so, you know, you'd, hmm. you'd put in the, the, the videotape in the VCR and it would start telling the story and then it would go, okay, pause. Now you need to roll your dice and move your people and do this thing. And then if you did a thing, it would, you know, go to one minute and 50 seconds to see how this encounter played out. So it was that kind of thing. And I was, I was probably like five when my uncle bought a bunch of these somehow. And he used to just make, make us play, make like all the grandkids play just so he could kill our characters. Oh. <laughs> Got some like weird, perverse energy out of it. So that's like my first technical D&D experience. Uh, but when I was a little bit older, uh, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, was visiting and saw me and was like, aha, you have long hair and a neck beard. You'd be perfect for, for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Um, so then, you know, I got in with him and yeah, the rest was history. Oh, right. these VCR games sound like pretty, like, I want to say like innovative for the early nineties. I'm going to say it was, we're about the same age. So probably that that's crazy. I never heard of these. Yeah. I, I swear for like a solid five years at the beginning of the nineties, you know, every other board game you bought came with a VHS tape. So you could have that mixed media. I must, my family was not getting though. We just had the regular Monopoly, all that stuff, Old Maid. We're big card game players. So you don't do this podcast alone. You have four wonderful people by your side. How did you, Mike, Ray, Steve, and Stephanie initially come together? I started dating Ray uh, through a, a series of weird internet meetups. Um, like she was... It turned out she was meeting some friends of mine who were my roommates uh, through, I don't remember, like meetup.com or something for board games. Oh. And I had contacted her. It was, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And I'm sure she would love to regale everybody with the, with the story. But uh, through her, I ended up moving to the town that I currently live in. And this is also going to date me. Um, when I moved here, the very first person I met uh, was the the manager of the Hastings, uh, and I miss Hastings with all my heart. Uh, but that was Mike, and uh, he is as big of a nerd as as I am. He and his wife both. Um, so you know, we had known each other for years and years, and then a couple years after that, uh, I had met Steve, who was a coworker of mine, and so we kind of started playing these games just different settings and and throwing together and at one point steve surprised me because he was like i've been telling my wife all the stories of of our games and all the uh the characters and and everything and she loves it and she wants to play and so he he dragged steph into it and we've pretty much been inseparable since and when did the conversation start about let's do a podcast on top of our game nights and everything um so i guess about two two and a half years ago we were running through something or other and i had made mention of the fact that i wanted to start recording our games uh, for my notes because i i keep track of everything in like a one note and 
everyone kind of reluctantly was like, eh, yeah, sure, I guess. And I, I forget what we recorded, but uh, we put it together. I was listening to it. I sent Steve uh, some samples of it. And he was like, that sounds like something I would like to listen to. And then I want to say within like two weeks, we had all come to the agreement that we would start doing a podcast. And you kicked that off about October 2021. And admittedly, you guys say you knew nothing about podcasting when you started. But what have you like personally learned so far that you feel particularly proud of? Yeah. So when, when we started, like I, I started listening to podcasts on uh, my very first generation one iPhone in like 2008, nine, whenever that came out. So I'd listened to podcasts for years, but I had no idea what went into making one. And uh, one of the things that I found I was truly lacking was uh, the the mixing and technical audio side of, of recording. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I have picked that up. It's my absolute least favorite part of the, the process, especially when some of our episodes hit like two hours long. Uh, but fortunately, you know, Steve, he's, I don't know, he's got like 19 degrees in music, I think at this point. Um, and wow. he's, a, he's a sound engineer and a musician. And so he does all of his own recording. So whenever I hit a hurdle, I can just like, Hey, asking for a friend, but how do you do this? <laughs> and he's able to walk me through it. So yeah, I'm really proud of the fact that I, I picked up a new skill that I can, you know, take other places. <laughs> I can just call him up. So like my show, it's just me start to finish it, with the exception of my husband who will do like the graphics because Photoshop hurts my brain and I can't. I cannot comprehend why if I move something, it goes all crazy, like an old school Microsoft Word document, but it's another story for another day. But for you, other than Steve and his like engineering prowess, uh, what does everyone else kind of bring to the table? So uh, Steve uh, is, he uh, aside from all the other hats he wears, like if I had to paint him into a role, he's, he's my sound guy. Um, he basically, if I go, Hey, do you have this weird piece of hardware? I can guarantee he has it or knows a place he can get it. Um, Stephanie, if I had to, again, paint her into a role, she's my artist. Um, you can find, especially of, of characters from our games, you can find her art on like Twitter, on, um, coffee, uh, deviant art, all those kind of places. And it's always the highlight of any game when she comes up and is like, oh, hey, by the way, I have made this thing. Um, like a couple of years ago, we uh, we went through all these NPCs and just one day she was like, oh, by the way, based on your descriptions, I have made these comparative heart ch uh, height charts that include <laughs> all of those people. Uh, so, you know, from the tiniest little halfling all the way up to the giant dragon folk, she had drawn 20 people. Uh, so I, I love getting all of that. Uh, Mike is my ideas guy. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty good at marketing, but, uh, you know, I can give Mike just a scenario and be like, Hey, here's whatever. Uh, what do you think we should do with it? And he just one right after the other, right after the other, will just spit ideas and, uh, you know, don't ever tell him I said so, but most of them are pretty damn good. <laughs> 
we won't and, let him know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I won't let her. I can't let any of these guys know I appreciate him. That's that's the key. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ray, you know, she likewise wears many hats, but she is my sounding board, uh, especially in games that she's not playing in. Um, if I'm having to run like an emergency session or we're doing off season, um, I can just come to her with ideas and she'll be like, here's the stuff. And she will, she reads more than me by a country mile. And she's quick to tell me like, oh, so-and-so did that first and better. And here's how they did it. Uh, so she is, she is excellent for feedback. And when you guys came together for the podcast, did you already know what you wanted to do? Or are you guys like, hmm, maybe we should do something a little different, tweak it? Or was it like, no, nah, this is the idea, we're sticking to it? So funny story. I knew what I wanted to do. And then all of my my gamers took a look at that and went, that's great. I'm glad you have an opinion. But <laughs> remember this other thing that we did a couple of years ago that wasn't on a podcast? We should go back to that and do it again. But remember all the mistakes we made, you should give us a chance to fix those. And so through uh, begging and pleading on their part, uh, they convinced me to to do the current game that we're doing and give them a chance to go back in time and fix all the mistakes they made in a previous game. Also, doing these games like as a podcast, especially you started in 2021 but your friends before that but i feel like a lot of podcasts started because we just wanted that connection that we just weren't getting regularly you know with lockdowns and everything so did the podcast kind of help with that like help keep you socially together oh yeah um it was one of the few like in-person activities that we maintained throughout most of the quarantine like we you know we were we were quarantined especially at the beginning when everybody was unsure what was going on but once the the vaccines you know kicked Mm -hmm. in and everyone kind of figured out what was what you know we we know where everybody was and what they were doing and whether they were going in or out and whether they were vaccinated so being able to uh you know see them in person uh, i i think kept me sane because as much as i do online I am really an in-person kind of guy. I'm like the only extrovert in a sea of introverts. Oh, so your four partners are like the introverts? Uh, you know, what is that? They have the uh, they have the extrovert battery and it, it runs down uh, at various levels on them. <laughs> uh, Understandable. But, but I'm pretty much in person all the time. I love people. And, you know, I even here on the, the computer, I'm sitting here like talking with my hands and making faces and yeah being being with them over over that uh, i think really really helped keep me centered more than anything especially if you are a people person that was i think uh introverts kind of low-key celebrated inside that we didn't have to leave but can you tell listeners what's going on on the average adventuring party podcast right now and what they can expect as the summer continues to roll on uh hmm well uh See, that's a tough one because we're sort of in a timeline within a timeline within a timeline. Uh, Let's just say I started the game off by destroying the entirety of existence, except for, you know, these four guys and sent them back in time to fix the mistakes that they had made so that this hopefully won't happen again. There's, There's this old saying about things the 
the dungeon master should and shouldn't do and the player should and shouldn't do which is split the party at the end of season two i managed to split the party not one two or three but four ways and each of the main characters has had their own season three campaign which we're about to wrap up um and then starting at the end of summer we'll go into our off season i'm not sure if mike or steve will run a game or if i'll run a game but it'll be something different and interesting uh last off season we had superheroes uh i think uh warhammer has been bandied about i'm not sure uh, so we're still trying to nail that down you seem like a chaotic dungeon master then you're following the rules uh where do you like but that's what does it i get confused about these games like where do you come up with the ideas when you're building it out and how long does it take you because it seems so labor intensive um so for this particular setting in my head uh so the first time we ran it years ago, uh, you know, Ray told me that she wanted to play and it had been 20 years since she played D&D. &D, uh, so she wanted something very basic. So I, I thought to myself, let me do something about dragons. And I, I kind of softballed uh, a few ideas over to the group and we got to talking and that became something else, which became something else and so on down the line. I get a lot of inspiration from my party, actually, which is uh, kind of weird. And a lot of dungeon masters find it anathema. But, um, you know, if you listen, your your players will tell you what they want to play. And, and that's how it's been. Um, that's how it's been with these guys is I'll kind of feel like I want to do X and they'll go, yes, but. And then that starts a whole conversation which gives me inspiration um as far as how much time i spend on it you know it really depends but i, I think the metric i've worked out and you know including like me idly daydreaming during the day when i'm supposed to be working it's like an hour hour and a half to every hour that we play wow <laughs> oh my gosh that's a lot that's a lot it, it is, but, you know, I'll, I'll be doing that and I'll just have like one note or uh, my actual physical notebook open and as, you know, I think of things throughout the day, I'll write it down. And then later that night, as I'm transcribing, I'm, I'm able to put however much time I, I want into it. And you mentioned uh, Stephanie's an artist, Steve's doing the music. Are all of you sort of creative in that, in that regard? I feel like you would have to be super creative to do a D&D. &D. Or, you know, these type of games. You know, I don't think you have to be. Like, I think you just have to enjoy storytelling. You know, people that have told me they love Dungeons and Dragons or, or uh, RP tabletop RPGs in general, a fair few of them are just like, I don't want anything to do with the creative process. You know, I can envision <laughs> these things in my head. It's just like uh, watching a movie or playing a video game. Like, it's a media I can consume. So I kind of feel like that's a... Uh, what would you say like a beginner's fallacy like people don't get into it because they think they have to be creative mm -hmm. but you know my particular group is steve's got his music uh steph with her art uh ray is actually a published poet and mike is, is like me he's a writer and i think some of his best best stuff you know he's shown me and then like hidden away so i don't think he's ever published anything but uh you know he's he's like me he loves storytelling I was gonna say it feels like you'd a writer's this is a good um 
kind of hobby for writers to do. You have to get really into that space. I'm a writer as well. Maybe maybe I'll jump into D and D. I always thought it'd be kind of fun. Me and my husband, we had we got one of those choose your own adventure games uh, that Target made, and that was pretty fun. So maybe the, the only the only downside to it is you have to kind of, um, especially if you're a habitual writer of a particular kind, you have to kind of forget that it's like writing in a new format like you can't mm-hmm. you can't uh, write a blog and write a play and write a movie and write a mm-hmm. book using the same techniques so it's one of those where a lot of people are like oh i am a writer and they jump <laughs> into it and are completely overwhelmed because it's you said chaotic earlier that's yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty apt description so of course i gotta ask because it's probably the most popular thing uh, regarding dungeons and dragons at least right now and that is stranger things is that a show you consume or do you think they get something maybe do they get it wrong do they get it right what are your thoughts yeah i really like the first i don't know two or three seasons of stranger things i, I think it uh it has what I call supernatural syndrome, which is where it reached a great stopping point. And then they went, well, the money's too too big to stop here. And so they just kept going and kept going. So I haven't seen the last season. I really Fine. don't plan to, but yeah, I, I really like what, what, they've, uh, what they've done there. Because, you know, you talk about uh, the writing process for D&D being kind of chaotic and, mm-hmm. and weird. Uh, they they had the same problem. Like they started out as basically wanting to write Carrie and or uh, Firestarter, and when they asked Stephen King, he said no. So they went great. Let's do our own thing then. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a an absolutely wonderful piece of media to a point. They just should. Well, what sucks is they take so long too, and they like guys. Will looks forty now. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big part of it is, you know, your adult cast, they're kind of set. You can do whatever you want. And if you need to take a three-year hiatus, you can. But with with a, a kid-centric show like that, you just, you, you can't take those kind of breaks. And I think that's part of it, the casting. But yeah, they just, no spoilers. They just should have stopped when they, while they were ahead. Yeah, it is weird. I think growing up in the 90s too, we had like shows like TGIF shows where the kids just grew up gradually. So I think that's a little shocking to the system for to find a new season and 11s now, you know, looks 20 and you're like, but why is she in 10th grade? That makes no sense. <laughs> DJ Tanner looked 15 because she was 15, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, you can't cast a, cast someone who's not 25 to play a high schooler now. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking... You know, Luke Perry on nine or two L, but he was so pretty. That's that's the example I was going to bring up. <laughs> all these all these clearly adults who are who are sixteen and seventeen. <laughs> like Dylan, come on now, you're not fooling anybody. And I mean that one girl, the girl with the glasses on nine or two L, she really was a lot older than them on the show. Like in real life, like I think she had ten years on him in real life. The the one I always pick out from that show is. Uh, What's his name? Brian Austin Green. Mm. Because a couple of years later, he was in um, the Sarah Connor Chronicles and he looked younger there than he did in 90210. <laughs> so I spoke fun at him. But, um, so that's the. Da, 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 da. Well, that's the end of my questions for you, but I'm going to ask if you can remind people where they can find you and the show online. Uh, yeah, you can you can find us at uh, averageadventuringparty.weebly.com. 
you can find us on Linktree, I think. It's a uh, Linktree slash AAP. Um, you should go there and totally sponsor an F-bomb. Uh, or iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all those fun places. Well, Gary, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today about your TV character crush. And everyone, you can find all that information below. And until next time, as always, keep crushing it. <laughs>